This morning is, is a little bit of a transition for us. We've been going through a series called Real Stuff About the What? You might have been awake? The parables, right, that's right. The parables of Jesus, how he used real stuff to teach us spiritual lessons. And then we are beginning next week a series called Full, F-U-L-L, Full. And it's about the book of Colossians. We're going to be kind of digging into the book of Colossians for several weeks. And so today I kind of want to do a little bit of a transition and, and talk about um, what it means to really get full. Okay. Uh, let me ask you this. You know, as we talked about, 2020 has been a year. It's actually been about 10 years, hasn't it? Anybody, anybody else feel that? Anybody else feel like it's March 74th or anything like that? You know, it's just like I, I keep forgetting that it's September now. Um, because we were, you know, in lockdown for so long, and it's just, it's been crazy. But every now and then, you have these horrible things that happen, or you have discouraging things that happen. But there's a problem I want to talk to you about for just a second that might be the most heartbreaking problem that there is. And let me ask you like this. Have you ever been eating a meal and really filled up only to find out that there's dessert coming? It's heartbreaking, right? <laughs> Nobody else loves food like me? You know? Yes. I think he's talking to me. Anyway, but yeah, you get that feeling. I mean, you know, especially if it's a good dessert. Does anybody like cheesecake? Man, I love cheesecake. Um, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. I love anything that's kind of sweet for sure. I got, I'm going to talk loud. This thing is having issues. But anyway. Um, I love those things, and have you ever been, you ate this meal, and the meal's really good, man, you're just putting it away, you're putting it away, or even if it's not the greatest meal, you're still, you're putting it away, because that's what we do, right? And then all of a sudden you realize, man, there's dessert coming, and you're like, I'm too full, and I can't have any of that goodness that's coming my way. And it can be so disheartening to think about, oh man, I've got this good opportunity, but I cannot take part in it, and it's, it's heartbreaking. No, I'm kidding, right? We know that's not a big deal. But here is the thing. Life is so much like that. Life is so much like that. You get too full of the wrong things even. Now we know our meals aren't wrong, but we get in life we get full of the wrong things. And then we can't fill up with the good things that are coming. We can't fill up with the things that are the good things that we've been waiting for. Now, the Apostle Paul, he knew firsthand. He knew firsthand what it was like to fill up on the wrong things. You know, so many of us get caught up in filling up with what we think is good, whether it be good or not. And we want to stack up our good deeds and we want to be on our strength and we want to say, God, look at me, recognize me. I'm good enough. You should love me. All the while, we can't fill up on the things that are valuable and important. We can't fill up on the grace of God. Now, Philippians chapter 3. I, I gotta move away from that mic. It's driving me crazy. All right, because it's like, like, it, 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 so I'm gonna try to talk really loud. Okay, everybody, can everybody hear me? I All right. can't. I hear you here. Come stand here. I'm kidding. I'll try to talk really loud. All right. So Philippians chapter three. If you got a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse one. The Apostle Paul says this. But first, I want to take note. You might notice anything different about me if you've ever met me before. And the cast. I know. Right. <laughs> working for you. All right. So, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1 says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. 
Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else is working out All right, I'm give it a shot again. All right, how's that? Maybe it'll maybe it'll stick with me. We'll cut out. All right, verse um, four and a half. We'll start verse four. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, Faultless. You see, Paul, he knew what it was like to try to put himself in front of God and say, God, look at me. He knew what it was like to be full of the wrong things. He was full of his own righteousness. And last week, if you were here, we talked about the fact that the Bible says in Isaiah that all of our good deeds, all of our righteous deeds are like filthy rags and how we can't stack up our good deeds, can we? So that's a real problem. That's a dilemma that we have got to wrestle with. What do we do? And so Paul, of, of, of anyone, knew. He said, but if you want to brag about things that we can fill up with on our own, I can do it. I can tell you about the good things I've done. I can tell you about how, um, how even according to keeping the law, I was faultless. And so what he means was, he doesn't mean he was perfect. He just means that if I broke one of God's laws, then I did the appropriate sacrifice and I made up for it. But he said, I didn't miss a thing. I, you know, he would have probably gone even deeper and say, you know, I tithe like the Pharisee said last week in, in the story we read last week. He said, I gave a tenth of everything. He probably would say all these things. He was full of himself. But here's the truth that I want you guys to know that I have to know and you have to know. You can't be full of the world or of yourself and be full of Jesus. You can't. You can't be. I can't be full of the world and or full of yourself. And be full of Jesus. It is an either or thing. You have to be full of Jesus or you are full of the world. And what he goes on in verse 7 and 8 says this. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Now, there's a whole lot of stuff that I could go into, and, and several months back, we sort of taught on this passage of Scripture, but it was one I think we need to touch base on again, because I don't care who you are, I don't care how hard you're trying, it's so easy to fall back into your old ways of trying to fill yourself up with you or your wisdom or your worldly stuff, right? And, and so we need to remind ourselves, but there's so much, we could go so deep into this, and we could talk about what he means when he says garbage, really the word's more like human waste. He says all these things, these good things were like human waste. So here's what we learn, though. If you want to be full, first you have to be emptied. If you want to be full of Jesus, first you have to be emptied. But the question is, how do you empty? The first way is, is honestly, I have to, you just got to be open and blunt about it, is surrender to Jesus. You cannot just dance around the periphery of Jesus. And expect to be emptied. You have to completely surrender. Like we've talked about over the past couple of weeks. And we've already mentioned it briefly today. It, it's an either or thing. I mean, you know, you got to trade one for the other. You trade your life for the life of Jesus. You cannot 
have, uh, it's not, excuse me, it's not an either or thing. It's something that we have to trade completely. Surrender to Jesus completely. That means you yourself has to die spiritually. And you have to take on the life of Jesus. That is extreme, my friends. And it would be nice if we could kind of tiptoe and be half in, half out. But that's not the opportunity that God has laid out for us. He's saying you cannot live your kind of life and expect it to be fruitful. You cannot live your kind of life and expect it to be joyful. If we're being really honest. We all know that's true, right? When you try to do things your own way. When you try to do things on your own strength, your own wisdom, you always end up being miserable, don't you? Eventually. You'll feel good for a while. I mean, you'll absolutely feel good for a while. I mean, sin is good for a little bit. It may, you know, even if it's something like lying, you know, it, it gets you out of trouble maybe. You know, it, it keeps you into something good or it gets you into something good. But then fill out the fill in the blanks of all the rest of the types of sin. They are pleasurable for a while. I mean, not many of us would go and bite a fish hook that's just a plain fish hook, right? We bite it because there's what? Bait on it. That's why fish bite a hook. They don't usually bite uh, an empty naked hook. They bite because there's bait, but there's always a hook in it. And at first it's pleasurable, at first it seems good, but there's always something in there to catch us. So you have to surrender to Jesus. And, and the Bible's really clear about that. It's like if, if you believe that God is who he says he is, then you turn away from your sin. It doesn't mean you get your life perfect, but you turn away from it. You say, I don't want that anymore, I want Jesus. And the Bible talks about confessing him, saying the same thing about Jesus that God does. I believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then it talks about meeting him in baptism where he washes away your sin and gives you his Holy Spirit. He takes away all the guilt, all the shame, all the pain, all the heartache that you've caused and has been caused on you. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. And then he calls you to follow him, surrender every single day. But the second thing you have to do to really be empty before you can be full is this. The first thing is surrender to Jesus. But every day after that, you always try to fill up with more garbage, right? How many of you have ever tried to, like, go cold turkey and do some crazy kind of diet? It's pretty difficult, isn't it, right? I've always used my, my line of reasoning. If somebody gives us, like, a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts in there in my house, I always tell everybody, the reason I'm eating six right now is because i got to get them out of the house. If they're in the house, they're just going to be a temptation. So you eat as many as you can real quick. That's, that's my line of reasoning a lot of times with Krispy Kreme donuts. I know it's, sh don't judge me. Back off me. I'll come point out stuff at you. You do that. I'm kidding. But here's what you got to do. You have to go on a diet. You have to go on a diet. You have to change your spiritual diet, what you consume if you want to be surrendered to Jesus. Because the day that you surrender to Jesus for the first time, the very next day oftentimes is one of the most difficult of your life. And you're going to have to change what you fill your heart and mind with if you want to continue to surrender. The third thing is this, and it seems repetitive, but it is. <laughs> Repent. Repent is not a popular word. It's not even a very well understood word. But we have to continue to repent day in and day out. And we get the, we get the meaning twisted. We think about repentance and we think, man, that means i got to get my life perfect. But all it simply means is a change in mind that leads to a change in action. It, it literally can be described as a 180. You're facing sin and heading towards sin, but you turn completely around and turn to Jesus. That's all it is. It's a change in the posture of your heart with an intention to do something different than you've been doing. The fourth thing is this, if you want to be empty, is to pray. Here's why. 
Because your power is not enough. My power is not enough. If I go on my own willpower, I might make it for a few weeks. I might make it for a few months. But if I do it on my own power, I'm going to fall short. So you have to pray. You have to talk to God. You have to listen to what he says. And, and like we talked about last week, it can't just be empty words. You can't be going saying, God, this is what I'm going to do. And I want you to bless it or I want you to make it not hurt too bad. You have to say, God, what is it you want me to do? What do I need to do in my life in this situation? And the fifth one is this. Connect to the body. Connect to the body of Christ because you cannot do it alone. I don't know about y'all, but I've never seen too many heads out hopping around by themselves. Jesus is the head of the body. And he is designed for the rest of the body to be connected to him. And if your head is disconnected from you, you are not alive. That is one thing you absolutely cannot do without. You need your head, but you also need your body parts or the body doesn't function well. One of my favorite stories is um, Sherry's grandfather. He's going on to be with Jesus now. But um, many years before he died, he had some issues with uh, diabetes in his feet. And he had to lose his big toe. And he was broken up about it. And uh, he was having a difficult time with it because if you know, your big toe is not that attractive. It doesn't seem like it would be that valuable, but it really helps in walking and balance, right? You have to have it for it to walk correctly unless you get a lot of extra help. And so what Sherry did was she went and found a little matchbox car, tow truck. And she said, here you go, here's your tow truck. You know, and so he, he thought that was a big deal. It made him laugh. But anyway, but he understood. He began to learn just how much, how much value there is in your big toe. And so if you want to be a, a faithful part of the body, if you want to be a fruitful part of the body, you've got to be connected to the body. Even if you feel like you're a big toe, or even if you feel like the person you're sitting beside is a big toe and you don't necessarily want to be connected to them, you need them just as much as they need you. So you have to be connected if you want to surrender. You cannot do it on your own. You cannot be an island and flourish. Look back at verse 8, uh, the second half, if you will. That I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I Listen to this. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is like saying, look, I listed all that stuff that I was full of. I listed all that stuff that I could boast about, that I could brag about, that was me, 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 me. And man, I, it's done. It's garbage. It's trash. I don't want any of it. But what I do want is Jesus. And that's the heart and the mind that you and I have to seek after. That's the heart and the mind that you and I have to wrestle with to gain, to have this idea that I want Jesus. I want the life of Jesus. I'm tired of my old way of death. I'm tired of my old way of just rotting over and over again and falling over and over again. I want Jesus and his life. But he says really clearly, if you want his life, first you have to have his what? death you have to sacrifice because here's the truth when you're full of jesus you have power when you're full of jesus you have power you see we all want power but we usually want it the easy way we want our own power we want our own power we, we have this fake power that seems to be real but it's not really true and it's not really going to last we try to do things on our own and our own power but we fall short Every single time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 says this. 
But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I love that passage of Scripture where it tells us that, you know, we are just broken vessels that don't look like much and don't have a lot of value, it looks like. But what's in us is what the treasure is if you're a Christian. And you have this power inside of you that's the Holy Spirit that is the power that makes a difference and changes lives. That's the real power that you and I are looking for. Instead of our own power, instead of our own will, instead of our own strength, we've got to look for that real power, God's power. You see, as even as believers, we sometimes fall to the trap of the power of popularity. And we see that somebody may have a crowd following them, and they may be from God, they may be telling the truth, but there's a possibility that they're not. But we automatically assume that just because people have a crowd following them, is that means that they are correct and that they're honoring God and they're following Jesus. But Jesus, as, as you've heard me say many times, you see in the scripture, when Jesus had a large crowd following him, oftentimes he would turn around and say something to make people scatter. Because he wanted people who were sincerely seeking him, seeking the truth, seeking the grace of God, not people who just wanted the power of popularity. And people oftentimes fall after, fall after the power of wealth. We think, if I can earn enough, then I can deal with my life and I can handle the difficulties in my life. But it's also not just real power, but the power to survive. Look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. This same man who wrote Philippians wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. And he's talking about, he says, we have this power. We may be crushed or we may be hard pressed, but we're not crushed. We may be persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We may be struck down, but we're not destroyed. That's power that can take a beating and get back up. And man, if you can't relate to that now in 2020, I don't know when we can. But we know that if we have the strength of Christ, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit in this jar of clay that may not look like much, we know the truth that there is power that sustains us even when we can't keep going ourselves. And that is what we cling to. So we have the power to survive. But here's the beautiful thing. We don't just have the power to survive. We have the power to thrive. Because God did not come and intend for us to just barely make it. He came for us to be overwhelming conquerors. Not in the way that some people will tell you. Not in the, the worldly way where you may get fame or recognition on this earth and you may get everything the way you want it. You may get wealth and you may get riches and treasure. But he did talk about treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. He talked about real power to thrive, not just survive. Look at verse 15 there if you skip down a little bit in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, all this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. You see, you can thrive by allowing the life that Jesus has given you to overflow into the lives of other people. There is nothing, I mean nothing better to know than you have had a hand in planting or watering a seed that helps somebody else spend eternity with Jesus. And if you've never experienced, I'm going to challenge you to do all you can to experience that. 
You don't have to make you don't have to be the one to baptize them into Christ, but you can be the one who plants the seed, who waters the seed, and maybe praise God, you'll be the one who's there at the harvest. But you know that you're making a difference for eternity. And it's that power to change others. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. It's also the power to grow. The power to grow. If we're being honest, if we're being really truly honest. You ever look at yourself and wonder if you've grown since you became a Christian? <laughs> you know, maybe some days you feel like, man, I made some progress. And then other days you kind of look in the mirror and you're like, man, I have not changed a bit. First off, that's why we're thankful for grace. Because it's the grace of God that saves us. But we are called to grow. But what he says there, what he says there that we just read in verse 15, or verse 16, excuse me, we do not lose heart. Outwardly, we're wasting away, yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day. Our spirits are being renewed and reinvigorated and rejuvenated when we spend time in God's Word, when we spend time with other believers. We're encouraged. Even though we may make mistakes and even though we may stumble and fall, the grace of God helps us to take another step forward. Even when we're getting knocked back another step, we keep pressing on. You have the power to grow. You're not owned by what your past is. You're not owned by who you used to be. It doesn't matter what the people in high school or college or last week knew you as. All that matters is who you are in Christ. It doesn't matter the mistakes. You're not labeled and owned by the chains of sin that have bound you. You're free if you're in Christ. And then lastly, you got this the power to change eternity. Because when you empty yourself of yourself, when you empty yourself of worldliness and you're filled with Christ, this is the power that you get. Ultimately, the power to change eternity, your eternity and the eternity of others. Look at verse 17 and 18. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, what is unseen is eternal. Do you hear what he said? He said, our light and momentary troubles. Now, if you're like me, if you can sometimes throw the, the most awesome, lit, pity party there is, for some reason nobody ever wants to come to them, but you throw them and they're banging, right? You throw these great pity parties. You might be thinking, okay, Paul, you don't know what you're talking about. Paul, you lived 2,000 years ago. You didn't live through 2020, man. Light and momentary troubles. My butt. Excuse me, is that not good for me to say? But we feel that way, right? Am I the only one that's ever felt that way? Paul says, my light and momentary troubles. He's writing some of his letters, like Philippians, from a prison cell. This man knew troubles. He was stoned and left for dead, possibly did die and was raised to life. We don't know exactly. But he was stoned to the point of death. He was beaten. He was given the 40 lashes minus one multiple times. And this man ultimately lost his head for the faith of Jesus Christ and preaching it. This man knew what troubles were. And what did he call them compared to the light of glory? Light and momentary troubles. 
What you and I need to know is that we can change eternity. And as bad as it may seem right now, as bad as the past few months have seemed, as bad as the future could seem in your life, depending on what happens, you have to know that this is nothing compared to eternity with Jesus. And it will just be like a little bump in the road if we remember it all when we get to see Jesus face to face. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So here's what I want to ask you as we sort of wrap up. What are you full of? <laughs> Wives, don't answer that about your husbands. <laughs> what are you full of? The question is, are you full of Jesus? Or are you full of something else? Are you full of self? Are you full of this world? Are you full of what you think is your own strength and your own power that's enough? It's time to take an honest look. Some of you have heard this story, but the brief version of this is when I was in college at uh, East Carolina University before I decided to go into ministry and went to MACU, RBC, that I mentioned earlier. I was way off the deep end. But praise be to God, I had connection with a campus ministry, CCF at ECU. Stephen Reed, or, uh, who's normally here with us, he leads the campus ministry CCF at NC State. I was at East Carolina, go Pirates. And I was off in the world, but I started coming back a little bit by a little bit. And I got more involved in the campus ministry, and I started turning my life around and we were going to travel and sing at different churches to raise awareness about Campus Christian Fellowship to hopefully get some new students to come to see if churches would support the ministry. And so one of the things we did was we would sing a song on a Sunday morning for a church service. And so we started working on one, and I'm getting up there in age, and there was this band called Jars of Clay. Does anybody remember them? They had a song uh, called Take My Worlds Apart. And at the beginning, it talks about Icarus, and um, Icarus was that Greek mythology character who made wax wings or attached wings with wax, and he flew up too high, and his father warned him, said, don't fly too high, don't become too proud, and he got up too high, and the sun melted the wax, and he fell to his death, and it talks about that, about how sometimes we lift ourselves up, but then we just come crashing down, and ultimately the cry of the song, the prayer of the song is, God, take my worlds apart, don't let it be me, let it be you. And we were practicing this song, and I wasn't completely sold out to Jesus, but man, I was sitting there, and I was singing the song, I was learning it, and we were going over and over and over it again, and it was sort of like God just sort of smacked me in the face, and he kind of stabbed me right in the heart, and he said, you need your world taken apart. You need to stop trying to make it all about you, and you need to stop trying to think that one day you'll figure it out, and one day you'll have the answers, and one day you'll have the strength. He's saying, it's all about what I can do for you. And so I prayed that prayer, God, take my worlds apart. And he began to work on me even more, and he helped change my life. And as I said earlier, you may not be glad I went to Bible college, but, but here I am today, and I know God has used me in more ways than I could ever deserve. I know I failed in more than I should, but he's used me, and if he can use somebody like me, he can use somebody like you. But we have to be emptied of ourselves first and be full of Him. So today, I want you to examine yourself. I want you to examine what are you full of? What am I full of? And if it's anything besides Jesus, let's empty ourselves and let's fill up with Jesus. If you'd love to talk about that a little more in depth, we'd love to 
talk with you after the service. I'll be right over to the side. Don't, don't feel like you got to have any pressure on you. I'd love to talk with you about what God's Word says. You can be empty, but then again, you can be so full today. Let's pray.